0: Hello, I'm Dan Tomaszewski, and this is the Connecting IT Podcast. I was reading like a week ago, you had a post that I actually think uh, was a really good one. And I want to hear some more thoughts around this. You know, some MSPs spend way too much time trying to prove to the prospect that they know their stuff but they've already believe you instead spend your time helping them understand and see the value would love to hear more in in on why you posted that and kind of some of your thoughts around that
1: yeah and you know it's not just msps it's anybody in that's selling has this i think msps have a we like we like to refer to it as the curse of knowledge you know if you ever read the book made to stick i think that was the first place i read about that word or that sent that phrase the curse of knowledge which is we all who are selling something are cursed with more knowledge than than our prospect has and that's natural when you're selling that's why people come to a salesperson and the more high value your thing is the more complex it is the more layers there are to it the wider that gap is and and the more need there is for a person who is a salesperson or an expert to to help guide people through the sales process so naturally, as a professional, you have, are always going to have more knowledge than somebody else. And, and in any niche I've ever been in, I mean, I was a martial arts school owner. I sold vacuum cleaners door-to-door. I sold uh, retail furniture. I have sold all sorts of things. And I always knew more about my product than the person there. Now, my job is to make sure I'm speaking to them in in their language and they wouldn't the thing that and the reason for that post was because i think when we're in a position where we are an expert in something somebody has picked up the phone or, or taken an action to make an appointment with us uh, i think sometimes we feel like we've got to prove our stuff and and that forces that that that's what forces us i think psycho- psychologically or subliminally subconsciously that's what i was looking for to to try and talk too much to try and prove that we're an expert, because we feel like we, we just feel this natural com, it's naturally. Com, compelled to do it right, right? like we, we can't control it, so we have to actively think about it and realize that we know more than the other person, but if we talk to them with our level of knowledge we're going to confuse them. I got, I I was in college at the time and and I had just gotten my, my black belt and my instructor was like, you can start teaching that, but I don't know how to teach. So, you know, what do you do? What do I do when I'm up there in front of a bunch of kids is, is I'm trying to show them what to do. Right. So I'm showing them, I'm demonstrating to them and I got to make sure I look good. So I'm doing my kicks as high as I can and fast and everything. And, and they, then I look at them, I go, okay, now you do it. And they like, look at me like I'm crazy. They can't quite understand what's going on. So I discovered that the simpler I can make it the, the better that they're going to learn.
0: You know, what advice do you have people for right now that they're out there prospecting, uh, because I know that's something we get asked all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the basic thing is, is just do something. Don't, don't like overthink it, like right. just go talk to people. <laughs> if, you, if you don't have anything in the pipeline, you just need to start talking to people. If you've got stuff in the pipeline, cool, step it up and, and, and do more. And sometimes it's just as easy as just calling somebody up and going, hey, I'm Mike from, from Mike's IT service. I'm just calling to, to say hi and get to know you as a, as a business in the community um, and, and just see where a conversation goes. Can we get a cup of coffee? can we, can we, you know, can we have a a meeting? I just, you know, I'd like to, I like to network with people. I mean, it doesn't have to be a salesy thing. And I think people get caught up in the, what do I do thing? And, and, you know, going out and hard selling people, it can be as simple as just, Hey, you know, like, like, I just want to get to know you and, and see if we can help each other's businesses and see where the relationship goes. And, you know, activity always breeds results. It doesn't have to be this process or that process. I mean, you know, we have, I've seen lots of different things and we can dive into techniques, but I do think that people overthink it. And, and sometimes it's as simple as, as picking up the phone and calling people.
0: Been on a lot of calls with MSPs lately. And it's amazing to me, you know, when the pandemic started, we saw pretty much like hospitality, you know, taking the bigger hits. And, and now we're seeing hospitality come back pretty strong. Uh, you know, starting to see it pick up. It's not where it was, but it's definitely in that acceleration mode. Um, now we're seeing things like manufacturing, you know, the supply chain, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the big automotive area where I live and uh, they're laying off people, you know, the shops are closing down and things like that. So, um, you know, we're starting to see from MSPs, you know, diversifying their business because if they only dealt with hospitality you know, in the beginning, they were paying the price. If you're only dealing with manufacturing, you're, you're starting to feel a little bit of the effects. But, you know, what is your take on, you know, diversifying your MSP business?
2: Yeah, I think it's extremely important. Um, I think that, you know, the situation also created a lot of opportunity to do that in ways that uh, maybe MSPs wouldn't have been able to before because so many more businesses are even more reliant than ever on technology. Uh, You know, obviously we've seen that that's been a macro trend for a very long time, but it's happening even more now as businesses are forced to be remote, uh, they're forced to be, um, more aware of the risks in their business from these types of issues. So they're starting to, even if they don't need to be remote today, prepare to be, um, in case, you know, there are other similar types of problems in the future or, you know, other risks that, that force them into requiring that level of flexibility.
0: How has the pandemic altered the MSP marketplace? I'd love to get your thoughts on that and uh, I'll kind of go from there.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, last year was really interesting when, when things hit. Obviously, a lot of economic activity th- slowed to a crawl, right? So sales were really difficult. Churn was high, but not maybe as high as people initially thought. You know, we did a survey right before the pandemic, our, our normal survey in March, and we did a follow-up in uh, late April last year so we could see the difference in sentiment. And uh, I think um, the reality was, um, that happened was less than uh, what people actually anticipated, which was positive. Um, But we did see a general slowdown. Things like M&A just completely dried up for about five or six months, started to increase a bit in September and October, and now we're really starting to see it accelerate again.
0: Let's get into a few questions around this, uh, you know, and kind of get your take on what the report was saying on a few of these things. So first one being is, is the general outlook for the MSP industry in 2021. What did the benchmark report come back with?
2: Yeah, so overwhelmingly, it was positive. We saw that um, MSP revenue is increasing again. Uh, They're back to uh, pre-pandemic levels, which is extremely compelling, because obviously last year was tough for many MSPs, especially those that were focused on um, industries that were particularly hard hit. So we're seeing that increasing. We're seeing an increase in M&A activity. And then also we're seeing an acceleration of the the top performing MSPs.
0: Why should MSPs
3: be making decisions based on data? I think, you know, if you look out there, there's, there's tons of statistics, right? But one that has really hit with me is that the average adult makes 35,000 decisions a day mixed between, you know, what, what they're going to wear, you know, which, which vehicle they want to take, what they're going to do and stuff. But A lot of those, and not all of them, but a lot of those pertain to what you're doing at work, whether you're in business, whether you're working for a business or whatever. And to me, I think anything that you're doing that many times a day, you need to find ways to accelerate, make it more efficient and and make it as good as possible, right? And I think the number one way is, is when we think about decisions we make in our everyday life, We're looking back to say, when have I made this decision before? Or who do I know that's made a decision like this before? And how did that play out? So you're already playing on past experience, but you may not have with your brain the quick, immediate access to all of those data points and examples and samples and everything. So that's really why and where leveraging data in your organization to be more data-driven can give you that immediate access to history, that experiential review, um, to help inform your decisions quicker and, and hopefully better, um, you know, there's again a myriad of stats that that data driven organizations outperform non data driven organizations anywhere between two and twenty x. So if you had an opportunity to just use something you already have to either double or two hundred times like what you're doing in your business today, why would you not give that a shot? So. It just, to me, it seems so relevant and so worthwhile.
0: I kind of want to go into another question for you, though, is data hygiene. Um, (laughs) So we've got all this great data, but what if it's not good data? What if it's bad data? I mean, let's talk about that a little bit.
3: There's... There's a lot of unfortunate consequences that come with if your data that's informing your decisions isn't good, right? Like you said, you always want to know who's profitable, what services are working, what's not working, um, so that you can fine-tune and optimize everything as you go. But can you imagine, you know, the amount of time that your technicians, even in an MSP are wasting by just searching for a certain component or thing on an IT system, Which is sitting there as a config in your PSA or in your documentation tool but it hasn't even been there for the last year or two years right like how much time is being wasted searching for things that no longer exist on your technical team or how many times have you had technicians engage on an issue or looking at something which has already been solved or somebody else is working on right like there's all of these intrinsic connections and consequences to it whether it's wasted time wasted effort going down to bad debt. I, I was speaking with an MSP that, that we were doing some, some work with recently and, uh, you know, a, a bit of data popped up and it was, you know, a record that really stood out to them. It was a, a contact that worked at their largest anchor client. And he just looked at it and he said, no wonder. They had been automatically with their PSA and integrations and everything sending their monthly invoices to this contact for the last forever and they could never figure out why this why the company wasn't paying their bills and they had to chase and escalate and do all of this extra work well the contact hadn't worked at that client for a year and a half right <laughs> even more, even more. so it's it's all of these things that like you're not getting paid you're maybe making investments on things you know a classic example is Big mistake I made in my MSP, right, is, is we, we wanted to scale the business even further and, and have room to grow. And so we looked at doing this new office space and building out this massive place where we could have a network operations center and the bullpen and, and all of this great stuff. And so the way I decided if we could afford to do that build was okay, so I know how much money we have now. And I, I know my AR versus AP, like I know what that cash flow is looking like right now, but what I don't know is how much money we're gonna have in the future. So went looked at our opportunity pipeline and guessed kind of on what our average close rates were and everything said, okay, we got this much money and that'll land by this time. Let's let's go build, you know what, we'll do our stuff and then we'll transact and do everything. Well my opportunity pipeline was very misinformed by prospects and opportunities that were years old, which I had never cleaned up and nobody had ever cleaned up. In fact, some of those businesses probably weren't even in business anymore. So while we may have hit the true close rate of actual opportunities, what we didn't hit was anywhere near the amount of money that I thought that we were gonna have. So we were underwater by like 200 grand, which in at that point, what were we 15 person op? That's pretty significant, right? And so all of a sudden you're eating a whole lot of crow trying to find ways to make ends meet and stuff to happen. And that could have killed my entire business, right? Now, if we had been more in tune with data management and data hygiene and just cleaning up things that were obfuscating and fogging up our view of our business – well, then I probably maybe wouldn't have done like the extra massage spa room in the office or the lounge area. And maybe we would have added that later on. Right. But instead, I risk our entire business by misinformed information.
0: You know, the hygiene of your data is really important.
3: Well, it is like it's just again, you go to how efficient an MSP is trying to be, right? And needs to be with the way that they run their business model to have technicians that are scrolling through endless list of ticket types that shouldn't even be used and miscategorizations, or you know, maybe there's numerous, very similar ticket types. So when you're looking at your big dashboard of where your technician's time is going, you don't see this elephant that's really sitting in the room because it's just all these slivers on the donut chart of very similar things, but together maybe that's fifteen or twenty percent of your technician's time that should be amalgamated and con- you know connected, and that's dirty data—just things not being as they should, whether it's erroneous, whether it's out of date or stale or just incorrect, right? So it, there's a lot of things that can, can change and shift if you really just take control of your data and, and have your PSA especially as clean as possible.
4: There's the opportunity that technology, the, the gains that small to mid-sized businesses can get are so big. And the technology, it's so specialized that we're seeing what used to be small IT shops, right, Dan? Like the Bank of Central Michigan. I think that's where you are in Michigan, right? right. The Bank of Central Michigan or Northern Northwestern Michigan, wherever the hell you are, um, has three branches that has two IT people and they do everything. That doesn't work anymore. COVID proved that as well. When the bank of Dan's Michigan town tried to have their 80 employees be remote, they couldn't do it. They struggled, they effed it up. Why? Because it's not easy. And for the first time, the bank of Central Michigan realizes, oh my God, IT and technology is strategic for us. It's something that it's not our core business, but it's strategic. And what we're seeing more and more, Dan, is we're seeing these two to one to two to six to 10 to 12 person IT shops, they're going away. They are actively looking for an outsourcer to either augment or completely outsource what they're doing.
0: So let's get into it. You know, what do you see as the biggest challenges for MSPs over the next five years? And counter that is, what do you think some of the biggest areas of opportunity are?
4: So I think anytime we think about MSPs or IT and security service providers, you know, whatever terminology folks are using these days, it's important to understand the end customer. What's driving this? Why is this even a topic? Dan, why do you have this podcast? Why, why do we professionally exist? And there's a macro trend happening. And I think everyone's aware of it because it affects all of us, but we may not see it because look, we're IT people. What we do, we're not heroes. You know, When IT people and security people, we go to a cocktail party, we're not the one hanging out with all the super attractive people. We're the, the geeks in the corner, right? We've always been and we always will be. However, we're the geeks in the corner that allow everything to exist. So one of the trends that's happening worldwide is small to mid-sized businesses. And this is companies of, pick a number, one employee to maybe 2,000. They're making up a larger and larger percentage of the global economy, upwards of 80%. That's a real number of economic growth worldwide is coming from small to mid-sized businesses. That's astounding. I read somewhere that in uh, North America and Australia, New Zealand, almost nine out of 10 new jobs are created from small to mid-sized businesses. So that's... Imagine you're an MSP. Dan, what are MSPs not good at? This is, by the way, everyone on the podcast, this was not a rehearsed question, right? No bullshit. Dan, what are MSPs not good at? Sales. Sales, right? They're not. Marketing, they're pretty decent, marketing's easy. Marketing is for people who failed in sales. I'm kidding to my marketing team. But.
0: Why don't you introduce yourself and uh, give us a little bit of a smile back?
5: Yeah, sure. So, as you said, Andrew Wallace, Managing Director and Chief Product Officer at Smileback. Um, Smileback's been in the game for more or less five years, and we're a customer satisfaction system, and we're specifically for MSPs and IT service providers, and it's great that you've used us before. Uh, We focus exclusively on, on customer feedback and the MSP market. We've helped more than a thousand companies over the course of, of our lifetime, uh, mostly in the U.S. market, but we're we're getting bigger and bigger, uh, particularly in APAC and also in uh, EMEA or EMEA. However, that's supposed to be said, okay. which is actually where I'm based. I'm a, I'm a Canadian. I'm from Toronto, but I live in Berlin, Germany, and that's where I'm talking to you from today. I Like oh. ice cream.
0: Talk about how, you know, maybe from an MSP, that's our listener base that we have, um, how to improve operational efficiency, you know, around that customer feedback. And maybe talk about how some of your partners are are leveraging, you you know, the feedback they're receiving and what they're doing with it.
5: Yeah, so where we see uh, our customers having a lot of success is typically when they take feedback as organization very seriously because, as I said before, they take client experience uh, very seriously as an organization. And starting with that fundamental idea, all of their process, all their operations are built around this idea of providing a good client experience. And so what it can do is it can really provide a clarifying um, vision for the organization, a core value where you can build things around. And so once you start getting that that customer uh, feedback, what typically happens: the more you get, the more you want to manage it. The more focus you put on it, the better you manage it. The more efficient you become. And so you can imagine one of the one of the key kind of and the really easiest examples uh, that we see with a lot of our customers is, as I said earlier, they're really focused on the negative feedback piece. And so whenever they get negative feedback they have established protocols that then they've turned into automations with our system, with their PSA that allow them, like as soon as that negative feedback comes, they already know how they want to action it, depending on the nature of it. And so they've built into their systems, into their workflows, what to do when that happens. And so they don't necessarily have to have human interventions all the time because this system's already in place and they've already defined, when do they need to do a human intervention who needs to be notified so that they can take that human intervention and all of this just kind of works as part of their workflow part of their system making them having to have less touches which is almost kind of paradoxical right as you're you're focusing on the humans yeah you end up having less touches because you have the right the right touches at the right time and it makes the the client happier. So there's you know, less problems, less fires they have to put out. The techs are happier uh, because everything's very clear to them. Um, it's clear without, throughout the organization and no one's getting upset about negative feedback. They, they, they've already got things in place to, to take care of it. Um, and so they've really just built a system around how they handle, how they support client experience. Um, and so, yeah, the, the really, the three tactical things are probably taking instant action, building these automated processes, and then building out uh, a culture around the operations um, that then in effect makes the operations more efficient.
0: Uh, you know, I wanna get into it with you on this is why customer feedback
5: matters. Yeah, that's probably the key question. And obviously we think it matters or else we wouldn't exist, or I hope we wouldn't exist. Um, And yeah, we think it's particularly important. And we found through our experience in the space that it it is in fact very important for MSPs. Um, And there's probably four key pieces um, of why it's important. Number one is that um, customer feedback and using a system like ours or, or any of the others in the space allows you to measure, manage, and quantify your customer experience. Um, so if you start from the assumption that customer's experience is important, then you definitely wanna do something with it. And so by, by being able to quantify it, then you can measure it and then you can manage it. I guess there's that kind of MBA uh, uh, textbook thing around what, what's get, what gets measured is what gets managed. And I, I think that's particularly important here. And because um, client relationships are so important, um, in the MSP space, that's, that's where we fit in bringing that like education, that consultation around customer experience and then allowing you to understand your own customer experience and do things with it. Um, I always say that, you know, data without action is just vanity. It's like vanity metrics. Um, and so really trying to focus on, again, that management piece, what do you do with your customer experience.